Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into a lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday and see what we can uh, offer to our listeners in terms of what will equip you for your ministry and edify you in your own life. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week, Larissa Levecheva, she teaches Old Testament as well as many other things uh, here at the seminary with me. Uh, Laura and I have been teaching together for many years, and she's a close uh, friend, and I appreciate her a ton and love interpreting scripture with her. It's the first time to have her on the show, finally, and I'm really glad to have her here while we look at this week's text, which is Luke 10, uh, excuse me, Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. That's why I said 10, right? Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. So this will be for the uh, 14th Sunday after Pentecost. That part doesn't matter as much. It's just good old ordinary time. And it'll be uh, for the Sunday of September uh, 15th uh, in 2019. But this would cycle back around every three years for someone who might want uh, to be using this text or anybody who might be preaching on this very famous text of the lost sheep and the lost coin. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Be sure to rate and review us and as well as subscribe and share to get the word out on what we're doing here. And we hope that it is edifying and equipping to you. And now the show. Enjoy. So yeah, what we're looking at this week is Luke chapter uh, 15, verses 1 through 10, I believe. Is that what I told you? Yes. That's what you told me. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure I didn't <laughs> mislead you. Yeah. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. In terms of the Revised Common Lectionary we use, this is for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. So for mid- mid-September, excuse me. Larissa, would you be willing, if you're open to it, to read the text? Yes. And then I'll say a prayer and then we'll jump in. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Ah, thanks be to God for that word. Let us pray. 
Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We give you thanks for this time that we've set aside to study uh, the Word of God. Give thanks for Larissa and this time that we've um, come together and then the times and places, wherever they may be, um, of our listeners separated by time and space from us right now. We ask, Lord, that wherever they may be, that their eyes may be opened and that their hearts may be opened as well to see and understand, to hear and to receive what it is that you desire of them. God, we ask that your presence would be with us, that the very same Holy Spirit who inspired these words and who abided on your son Jesus would be at work in us even now that our conversation would be guided by him in some way unto the glory of your Son and through him to you. We ask this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for uh, doing this. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, let's just start with some observing. You know, good old exegetical starting point, good old... uh, (laughs) Inductive Bible study, right? What, what are you noticing as we just open this text up fresh? Obviously, you've seen it before, but uh, today, what, what's jumping out at you in these 10 verses? Well, it's interesting that uh, from the beginning, we, well, Luke points out that it's the tax collectors and sinners who are huh. coming to listen to him. So the the people who are outside of this society, right? They marginalize the people who are... Not the ones who would go to the temple, right? Who will go Ah. to the scribes, who would be in the favorite place in the synagogue, right? The tax collectors and the sinners. So they are outside. And yet they're the ones coming to listen. And the Pharisees, who are in the privileged position, who know the most, who are the closest to God, they're grumbling. And they're saying that he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So it's... It's very. It's a very interesting uh, juxtaposition, right, yeah. in the text itself. So those who are outside of the society, those are on the margins, coming to the center to Jesus, mm. and those who are at the center are grumbling <laughs> at Jesus and moving away. Yeah, at least right? implicitly, right. right? So it's, but in in Luke, and I don't know how much you've talked about this before, but salvation is seen um, as restoration to society, mm. not just a spiritual salvation as a um, being forgiven the, the, the sins, but it's also restoration to the community, restoration to the society. So every time there is a healing or some kind of um, restoration that Jesus does, he tells the person, go back to your community, yeah. go back to your family, show yourself to the priest so that you can be restored. So that's salvation. So with the tax collectors and the sinners, because they're coming to Jesus, they are being restored to the community. So that's what we see Lucas Luke is doing here. So yes, yeah, so quite a, interesting. There's a kind of, this would be, uh, a saving event, at least right. in the way that Luke narrates things. Not that forgiveness is irrelevant. Forgiveness is internal to right. that. Right, right, right. 
But there's more to salvation than yeah. In a sense, that is spiritual. In the sense of that's his spirituality. It's a it's a social spirituality, right? It's Mm -hmm. a yes. It's a being drawn in, and then so then you've got this social criticism of Jesus's behavior from the Pharisees and scribes of leaders of the society saying, this is not how to run a society. Correct. <laughs> yes. Rewarding bad behavior. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's such a clear setup, right? Especially with yep. verse three. So he told them this parable and it seems to me, unless I'm misreading it, that like, I guess maybe the the antecedent of them is ambiguous here. Like it could be the sinners and tax collectors. My mind immediately assumed that it was the Pharisees and scribes. That Mm -hmm. seems obvious, but I guess it's at least worth like playing that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it doesn't say he turned to the crowd or that he said to the disciples. So it's clearly addressing this situation. Yeah, or yeah. to the Pharisees even. Yeah, right? I'm guessing it, it's not. Clear. I took it that it was always them, but maybe it suddenly hit me today that it, it could be read either direction. Okay. Um, but it's also interesting that he tells them the parable, right, about the sheep, and mm-hmm. but it rem- immediately as I read this, that reminds me of um, Ezekiel 34. Yeah. Yes. Where it's not a parable. Right? right, it's not set uh, as a parable, but God tells um, through Ezekiel to the leaders mm-hmm. of Israel that they've been bad shepherds, that they've uh, that they did not go out and looked for the lost sheep. Yeah, and he and he will be that good shepherd. So, in my mind, I'm wondering how they would hear this. Yeah, you know, if they would, knowing that this is an uh, oral culture and they all know and remember the stories and how they would hear that. Yeah, the sheep language right away. Right. I mean, the shepherd. Yeah. Oh, why did I turn to? Yeah, I'm flipping there now, and we don't need to read the whole thing, obviously, but, but uh. It's clearly like that prophecy back in Ezekiel 34, which, like you said, it's not a parable. You could say it's maybe parabolic in a right. sense that it's it's using a, a figure right. to make a point. Mm-hmm. And the shepherds are clearly the leaders right. of Israel mm-hmm. um, and their failures, right? Right. Whoa, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Yeah. Should not the shepherds feed the flock, right? That kind of right. – yeah, surely that would have had that immediate resonance, uh, in its original setting, at least, and probably for a lot of its hearers, once it was in a written form as well, to have this kind of like, and if I'm remembering correctly, that, you know, son of man prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So he doesn't specify there. I'm trying to see if it later says if the shepherds are in Ezekiel. I'm trying to remember if they are. Does this mean the kings? Does this mean the priests? Do you know what I mean? Is it yeah. who, who's the, who's screwing up here? Um, eh, all of them. Yeah, it's probably just the the leaders in general. The, yes, the archoi, yeah. right? The, yeah, and it's in thirty four four in Ezekiel. It says, "You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strayed." Yeah, you have not sought the lost. Oh, the language just lines right up. Yeah, but with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Yeah, and then, so then there's all these other phrases that have this, right? Like uh, in uh, right. 
reaching for my Septuagint because I was just wanting to see the, the lost and hmm. scattered and all this language. I might look it up later. I just want to grab right. it. But um, the uh, it, it's suddenly remembering of all these other moments of Jesus. I mean, we don't have to chase these down now, but it, there's a number of phrase, references to him having compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Right. You know, so, but this is sort of the... The woe to the shepherds of Israel moment uh, in Jesus' own kind of – so he's trying to be the shepherd. Right. And the people who are <clears throat> least formally the shepherds aren't right. legit shepherds. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So so this – let me ask you this. Maybe, maybe it's too soon, but um, – so there's this little standard phrasing, right? The mm. – what, what what shepherd among you, you know, mm-hmm. or who among you having having so many sheep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would uh, if you lost them, does not leave the ninety nine, um, in the desert in the wilderness, right, to go find the one? Um, my my Im- immediate reaction is to think, well, no one would. You wouldn't lose ninety nine <laughs> to go get one. This is. Right. So I I don't know. Does that maybe maybe it would have hit someone different then, or is it supposed to feel a little kind of risky? I mean, do you risk the ninety nine for the one? Uh, wouldn't you take them with you or send one guy off? Or I, I just it seems to immediately sort of strike as like really. I mean, if you'd lost the one, you wouldn't want like the other ninety nine to be in danger just to go get the one. Or I don't know. I'm just trying to think this out. Yeah. If I know very, very little about this, but my understanding is the shepherds never owned their own sheep. Mm. They were entrusted with Ah. them. So losing a sheep meant that somebody else owned that sheep. And now the shepherd will have to tell that person that the sheep is lost. Yeah. Okay. So that was, I think there was more, more involved than just that. But my guess is also the uh, the sheep were secured somehow before he would go look for for that one lost sheep. Yes, because yeah, why would you? It's just one. You already have ninety nine. So but yes, it's what, I agree. it doesn't say that. <laughs> right. That's what yes. strikes me. Yes. And it yes. even says in the Eremo, right? In, right in the in desert. the desert. Yes. So almost by definition, this is not right secured. Right? right, you haven't brought them back into the sheepfold. Right, there is a word for that. Right. That could have been in the passage, and it isn't. I'm not saying this is the main point, but although it does fit Jesus to use these very everyday, his parables are sometimes very everyday. But then you look at them, and they're a little weird too. Like you and I were chatting about the sower right. last week. You know, it's like <laughs> this is not a normal sower. You're just throwing seed everywhere. You know, like so. I do wonder if there's a little bit of a, um, but I could see how if he was afraid of getting punished. Right. And how out of, out of kind of almost anxiety, you run out to go get the other sheep. Right. Um, although if like wolves came up and ate six other sheep, you'd have to answer for that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be worse than losing one? So that's why I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> maybe I'm getting stuck on one phrase and that right. I should ignore. But, but. also in the uh, Judean desert, there were flat areas and there were um, some hilly mm-hmm. parts. So I wonder if... 
you know, the uh, the uh, the flock is in kind of a flat area, surrounded by, you know, kind of in a safe spot. But this one, not so smart sheep, you know, wandered off and kind of yeah. about to fall off the cliff, kind of thing. So I, you know, having been there and seen the yeah. the terrain, you can you can see how it may be safe on the right, but completely dangerous on the mm-hmm. left. So maybe that's. So I, d- I don't. Again, I don't know, but I don't think it's like completely leaving, abandoning, and going yeah. on a three-day trip. No. Yeah. So that'd it's be more silly. of a. Yeah, it's just something. a quick reaction. Whoa! Right. Where's one? Oh, he's over there. Yeah. Right. So I think it's. more Although of interestingly, a... uh, Matthew, uh, we don't have to get into this now. Although since since this story is kind of in two chunks, it's okay to maybe right. dig in deep with first, and then maybe the break will switch to the coin. But uh, in Matthew, it is uh, leave – if one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain? Very mm. Matthew, right? He Very leaves the mountain, mountain always, right? Safe place, right? With God. Right, but he leaves them on the mountain while he goes uh, to seek after the lost one. I just right. thought that was uh, um, striking that he kind of – but both of them very outdoors, very kind of out and about. Both, right. both mountain and Eremos – both mountain and wilderness are away from the city, right? Not. So he goes up, he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoicing. And when he comes back, he calls all his friends and, okay, this is a, this is my next question. And I guess that I wanted to ask you is like, again, he asks, who among you would do this? Like, would this be normal behavior? Like, would this be like a big deal? Hey, everybody, <laughs> my sheep was lost. And now it's not, I mean, I'm not trying to criticize Jesus' story. I'm trying to see if he's sort of playing with our normal expectations. Like, um, would this be the kind of thing that would be like a big deal? I, I mean, if if in fact the a shepherd wouldn't even be the owner of one's sheep, he probably might not want to, you know, even really draw attention to the fact that something <laughs> went wrong. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It just it seems really strange. Hey, everybody! <laughs> but in a communal culture, okay, where you depend. On others for everything, you always celebrate uh, a little. Every little joy you celebrate together because you always go through tra- tragedies together. Okay. So, yeah, you you're part of the community. You want to share joy with the community, right? Yeah. And community being such a big thing for Luke. Yeah. Right. You want, and if you if you. If you lose your, if you lose the sheep, you you know that you may uh, be in this bad situation. You may be punished or mm-hmm. whatever the fear is there. But now I come back and I say, no, everything is great. Mm-hmm. Come rejoice with me because now I'm no longer in this bad situation. So I think it's it's the idea of really living your life in the presence and in community with others. So there is nothing that is not shared. Is that? Like, yeah, yeah, In yeah. a very good, healthy way. <laughs> right, right, right. But there's clearly right. like some kind of, I, if I'm hearing you right, there's kind right. of a, there is a sort of economic sensibility that right. what's good for you is good for us all. And so we want to celebrate that together. Right. Yeah. Um, because this loss doesn't just affect you. It affects us all. It affects right. family members, friends, neighbors. You know, if there's dishonor, 
if there's loss, this is going to affect us all. Right. This is not. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very helpful. Um, that does help me picture it. So this, this may be a kind of, you know, a somewhat natural reaction, maybe, uh, uh, exaggerated right. for effect mm. as a parable yes. often does, right? A hundred sheep, you know, right. um, yes. by yourself, actually you tend to not see, you usually have a couple guys running right. that, right? Yes. So it, when, when you take it too literally, it, it, all these problems just are both exacerbated and also dissolve because they're not really the point or the little details, although they're fascinating, but um, because, and, and, and asking these kind of strange questions sometimes helps us kind of see, helps you, someone like you bring out the social things that we forget about. I'll never forget this. uh, um, One of my friends was telling me about how one of the, I don't know how true this is, but it's just a little, a little uh, thing that people say about Scandinavian versus Germanic cultures or German cultures and why, why, you know, like, like Scandinavians in the States, you know, up in like, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, that kind of area are a lot more reserved. Right. And then um, the more Midwestern German heritage is a little bit more effusive. And, and they were saying there's roots of this in just the agricultural, the difference between an agricultural society and a fishing community. Mm -hmm. So in fishing societies, like the Scandinavians, you go off fishing and in the same night, one fisherman might get a lot and another doesn't get much at all. And so you tend to not want to talk about how it's going because it can create, it's not that one isn't a social culture. It's a different social, a communal culture where you don't want to bring awkwardness, you know, so you tend to want to not say as much. Whereas, you know, you think of Germany and Oktoberfest and you know what I mean? It's like, because in a, in an agrarian society, if we have a good year, everybody has a good year, right? <laughs> if, every, if we have a bad year, everybody has a bad year. So it sounds like this kind of Palestinian context would fit more that agrarian, more German style rather than where it's like, it's like, if it's good news for me, it's good news for everybody. That's the mindset mm-hmm. or not. I, I'm, I'm asking. Yeah, maybe yeah. I, Yeah. When you were saying that they would, yes. you would not, you would naturally want to celebrate every little thing right. because it wouldn't be seen as a, a competitive thing, but as a kind of shared right. mm-hmm. experience. Shared experience. Yes. Yeah. If any of our listeners thing. are either German or Scandinavian, <laughs> and that's just a stereotype, please correct me. I, uh, hopefully the point is made. It wasn't really about Germans or right. Scandinavians. <laughs> Usually I heard that uh, it has to do with weather. Sure, it like is just col- colder. <laughs> the colder it is, the yeah. more reserved people are. The true, warmer true, true. it is, the, yeah. I'm sure it's mostly that. <laughs> but you can see how fishing culture would be a very different dynamic, you know what I mean, than like a harvest-based kind of yeah. culture, you know, because good fishing is not as weather-dependent. So. Is it skill-dependent or? Luck. Luck. <laughs> big luck, Yeah. Well, I mean, you even see that in these stories because we have fishers in these stories, right? right where they just get these true. huge <laughs> catches right. of fish and sometimes you catch nothing. <laughs> that's very typical in the fishing world. So I don't know. Maybe I'm sure it's, I'm sure others would <laughs> highlight that it's a skill, but <laughs> well, let's take a quick break and come back and maybe talk about the coin a little bit. Sure. Okay. Yes. And we're back. We're here with uh, Larissa Levicheva. Levicheva. Where do you put the accent? I always get it Levicheva. Levicheva. Is that close enough? Yes. Right. Sorry. It's okay. Um, uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. We kind of spent the first 
uh, 20 minutes or so really focused on the sheep stuff here. Maybe we'll come back to it. I don't know. But then there's this little coin story in verses 8 through 10. I'll just read it and then you can see where we want to go with it. So, or what woman having 10 silver coins or drachma, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it Um, or until it is found. No, until she finds it. Yeah. And once she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found the coin which I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over even one sinner who repents. (laughs) Well, there's that rejoicing theme again. That seems to... There's all these linkages between these stories, right? right. There's mm-hmm. there's the losing, the searching, and then the rejoicing yes. as the um, – what else jumps out at you here? I was going to ask you and then I made my own observation. but <laughs> Well, I think the 10 silver coins have to do with um, inheritance. That, oh, okay. Um, quite possibly be that the woman received as – you know, as a wedding gift from maybe her parents as she's getting married or maybe as a gift, as a wedding gift from her husband. So that, okay. that could be either way. Uh, but it's uh, quite um, quite clearly something uh, very expensive. So, And it's something that she would wear to show oh. her status. So it's not something that she keeps in a jar and suddenly one day she comes and there are only nine. And ah. one is missing. Most likely she's wearing this. So it's got these three, these 10 items and right. one fell off, which right. would happen. Right. Yeah, so that ma- most likely like yeah. a necklace or <clears throat> something like that. So, and then she sees that one is missing and maybe she even hears it drop. So it's, it's a very, uh, in the moment situation, something like that. But it's, it's quite clearly very precious because this is, this is something that she received as an inheritance or as a wedding gift that will go to her daughter. So it's important to keep it ah. as, a, as a whole and maybe add to it to pass on. So there may be no more 10, but 15 when yeah. it goes on or something like this. So it's a... It's likely a family heirloom, I guess. Right. So it's important to keep intact and care care for it. So is, so is coin a bad translation of drachma? Because, um, I mean, just for a modern ear, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of the dynamic equivalence for us. Like if, if we hear coin, I do not – I hear something that comes and goes, something you spend, not an heirloom, you know? Right. Um, so what is a drachma then? Like I, how I, do I you... don't know. I'm, oh. I'm asking you. Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought you have a particular – uh, no, well, your, dis- your, dis- your, de- your description right. doesn't sound coin-like in the way that modern yes. people hear the word coin. That doesn't yeah. sound like a precious heirloom. It sounds like just money. Right. No, right? those those were um, pieces of um, silver. So the translation uh, coin that we see here is probably because it was round and flat. Gotcha. So what we would think of a coin but it was more of a piece of silver or 
you know, to make it even more precious, it would be a piece of gold. Mm-hmm. So it is a jewelry. It's a piece of jewelry. You wouldn't. I mean. And it wouldn't have to be silver drachma, right? It could be either. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, coin is just probably get a picture of what it might look like. Yeah. But it seems kind Rather of misleading. Than its function. It would be more helpful. Yeah. It's it's very hard, I think, for a modern hero to not hear uh, this is a sort of like money money when you hear coin, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, a, a, a you know, a, a piece, you know, pieces of, you know what I mean? Or something. Right. Yeah. I love that image. I've never heard that before that it might be oh. all together. Right. As yes. opposed to like a, a stack in a bag or something. Oh. Right. Yeah. Cause I think it's drachma when uh, like Judas has the 30 pieces of right. silver, Tra- right. And yeah. throws them back. Right. Um, um, but the idea of them being like a set, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then yes. the missing one is not just the loss of value, but also the kind of disruption of the integrity of this beautiful right. object. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's cool. <laughs> so now it makes, it's making me double back now. Now I don't want to read too much into the, to the parallelism, but mm-hmm. the language of having 10 coins and any man among you having a hundred sheep does make me wonder if he's think this is even maybe the owner of the sheep back there. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. It doesn't say shepherd. Our minds That's immediately true. go there. Yes. We think shepherd, right? Um, and the word shepherd, I'm double checking before I make the assertion, does <laughs> do. not appear, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. see it? Yeah, That's true. Um, but we always call this the good shepherd. This is one of these great cases where John 10 and Ezekiel 34, for that matter, are Shepherd reverberating thing. maybe too much in our ears so that we're reading maybe something in, you know, because, because of the, and I'm not saying that thematically the good shepherd is not present here. This right. is a biblical theme. Psalm 23, the, the shepherd keeping of the patriarchs, uh, Ezekiel 34, John 10 picks it up. Right. So I'm not saying sheep without a shepherd. So I'm not saying the shepherd right. thematics aren't at play, but in terms of getting a picture of this person, um, it could very well be a very a picture of a very someone maybe someone even humiliating themselves to go find, you know, right. the, 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 the if, if and your insight still helps because right. it's like you could be the owner of the sheep. Guy comes home with only ninety nine, says right. they're lost, you know, and right. out of love for the sheep as well as maybe to preserve the honor right. of mm-hmm. your of your servant who you maybe don't really want to, you know, you don't want to. Humiliate. Punish them, yeah. right? You run out to go get your sheep. Right. And then that parallels the story, which we're not doing this right. week, yeah. of the father yeah. running out to catch the son or to, right. to welcome the son home in a very unbecoming manner. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. but Because the woman clearly is not just keeping an eye on these. Right. These are hers, probably, right? Um, yeah, I don't so, know, I'm just yeah, playing with it. Your insight about the um the owner versus the shepherd, right? Um it's it's very interesting. I never thought about it. Because, you know, I. it's a good shepherd, right? That's you know, Fresh you assume, text. right. You assume <laughs> it, it's there. Um but yes, knowing that people would not uh take care of their own sheep, they would, you know, hire a shepherd. Yeah. Right? The fact that he goes out for his own sheep right shows much more care for it and then with the same same thing woman does not ask for a servant to do it for her she herself looks for it 
right? And a lady with a ten drachma necklace is this going to be a wealthy woman? Well, that's you would. Would think. that be pretty, or, or more likely than not? Right. Okay. Yeah. Silver, you know, it tells you fatted calf for a party later. I mean, so none of these are necessarily like down and down on their luck. Correct. Characters, which Correct. actually is how I've always pictured them, because I always picture a shepherd, which I know are pretty low on the totem pole. Right. Um, and the coins, because I heard coin to right. me as a child growing up hearing this story, I just thought it was like she only had like ten little pennies, and she may, and she sweeps yeah. her house. This old lady looking for her one little coin, and then would spend more than that coin on her party. It's like right. maybe these are not down on your luck, and maybe these are. And then all of them now start to become pictures, not just of Christ himself, but of God the Father. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the wealthy owner who humbles to. Right. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Thank you. I mean, yeah. So the thing I, I saw yeah. was because of the thing you said. So, right. I mean, this is what happens when you talk yeah. to other people. That's why I don't want to do a podcast <laughs> by myself because I'll just say the stuff I already know. This is getting me to see things that I wouldn't have seen. Yo, and, yeah, and, and yeah, all of a sudden the party makes more sense to me now too. Right. From what you said earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if this is yes. a special, this is your special sure. net. Everyone's seen this before. Mm -hmm. This is bad radio, but I keep touching my neck as we're talking, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> I keep like doing, oh, my neck. But I mean, if this is like a, not just a thing of financial value that if you were in a tight spot, you could sell. Right. 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 But, but, uh, but, uh, a family heirloom, so it's precious in terms of memories, but it's also somewhat maybe an identity marker, not just right. of status, mm -hmm. but of just identity, who you are. Um, so it would be, there would be a lot of shame to go out of the house with it neither either off or with only nine. Right. So all of a sudden, the party has a little bit more logic to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's definitely shame and honor society, right? Yeah. So... And family and community is such a primary marker, right? You are who you are de uh, determines by the community you belong to. So if you cannot belong to the community, then you become an outsider. So you want to belong, right? If you lose a precious coin, yeah, suddenly it's like, what you know? What kind of person are you, right? That's all those bad thoughts, even in your own head. Yeah. Kind of moves you away from the community that you want to come back. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that that can, that. So you you started us off today with, mm. um, um, restoration to the community as salvation, not just mm. a consequence of it or a benefit of it, but right. that is salvation. And then forgiveness then would be removing a, an obstacle. To that, right. but not the essence of salvation is not forgiveness. Though forgiveness, mm -hmm. obviously, Luke has some of the best forgiveness stories. Because right, forgiveness, right. forgiveness isn't uh, demoted in this scheme. It's just mm -hmm. understood in different terms, Correct. not not exclusively moral terms or individual terms. Okay, so sorry that was <laughs> excursus. You know me. All right. Um, so, so if 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 restoration to the community, if re restoring persons to the community just is salvation especially in Luke's thinking and writing, then that of course has helped us to understand the framing device at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's also been helping us now in this conversation to think of this highly communal honor, shame kind of culture that these stories would have been heard in and therefore they would have been understood maybe slightly differently. Like, 
the this is not a kind of reductively economic eight through ten, or it's economic in the ancient sense of the word right. oikonomia, right? It's it's, right. it's 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 this is about your whole li- life. life, not just your you know oh I'm missing some financial things, right? Um, and so it's helping us see the metaphor, but then it, it's all of a sudden I think it's hitting me now, and maybe you won't buy this. And so tell me if I'm playing too much. But but if 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 all of that is true, then it's not just that thinking communally mm-hmm. about salvation is helping us to understand the owner of the sheep and the mm-hmm. owner. I'm not calling the shepherd anymore. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is, maybe he's not. It's right. just, the one having the sheep, the haver of the sheep and the haver of the coins. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are they through rejoicing, mm-hmm. which is the punchline of both, you see that social dynamic at work, but then all of a sudden the the objects at the center of these stories become maybe, for be- lack of a better term, symbols mm-hmm. of salvation as restoration, right? It's a hundred. One is lost. Now it's getting plugged back in. It's not just... Oh, the one had something bad happening to it. And now it has something good. It's that something's wrong with the hundred if one is missing. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't see that till you gave me, especially the picture of it as a, as a necklace. Right. Right. Something's wrong with the other nine if yes. the one is missing. Right. So in a sense, they're all being saved by it coming back. It's not just the lost coin just got saved by being put back in. Correct. It's the whole necklace has now been saved or the flock has been saved because one was lost. Maybe this is just obvious to you and self-evident, but I'm trying to think it through and make sure I'm catching the implications of what you're telling Correct. us today. And I think just using the numbers help huh. also, you know, the hundred is a big round yeah. good number and 99 is <laughs> almost as good, but, you know, one is missing, right? Or 10 is a big good round number. And nine is almost as good, right? So it's you'd almost rather have seven than right, nine, though, it's, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quantity is right, not so, the key. It's the there's certain numbers, that right? Are, so it's the good big. So it's ninety nine is not a hundred until one is there. Yeah, right. So it's yeah. So there is something wrong, or not wrong. Something is missing. Yeah, unless until that one comes and it becomes a hundred. Yeah, imperfect, incomplete, right? Lost. Right. You know, there's yes. a, there's two layers of lost here. Right. Which then comes back to the framing device. Okay, so, yeah, sinners and tax collectors, they're lost. He's clearly thinking of them as the lost sheep in some right. sense or yeah. the lost coin. And I'm the good shepherd who's going and getting them. I mean, all that still applies. But he's also kind of subtly saying, and if you don't join the party, you're lost. Right. Because without this, right, right? right. I'm actually, guess what, Pharisees and scribes, I'm saving you right. by bringing them in. Right. You I should be rejoicing. Yeah. Right? The rejoicing should come from you rather than the grumbling. Right. right. And that contrast is so right. perfect. Right. Joy versus what is it? Uh, the, grumbling. the grumbling. Where was that? Verse two. Yeah. Oh, diogogudzant. I mean, this is that word that's murmur. It's the one used for murmuring. And when the children of Israel are murmuring and grumbling out in the desert. Right. Oh man, that's good. That's good. Well, I feel like we're already getting towards our sermon starters. So let's take a break <laughs> okay. and come back and just explore some sermon starters. Okay. So.
And we're back. We're looking at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 here on Fresh Text this week. And with my special first-time guest, Larisa Levicheva. Better? Yes. I usually do the chair. I need to accent really the first syllable. You just syllable. need to invite me more often and get the... Yeah, be, be, you know, yeah. be cool. <laughs> <laughs> be cooler. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I just don't introduce you a lot. I see you every day. <laughs> I'm not usually introducing you to someone else, but alas. So would you like me to introduce you to more people right, yes. <laughs> so I can get your name perfect? <laughs> anyway. Um Cool. So Luke 15 verses one through 10. So we did some observing and a little bit of interpretive uh, rabbit trails. And now let's uh, explore some sermon starters. So we don't have to write a whole sermon unless you got one. Uh, But you know, like when you, you know, when you're preaching every week or teaching Sunday school or just preparing to talk about a text with other people, you know, even if your ideas aren't fully cooked, it's good to know where you're headed, you know? So where might you go? What, what direction do you think this might lead? Uh, in your own preaching and teaching? Well, I think this, you know, the, this passage was, was two examples, right? Um, is set in a situation in life where there are two, kind of two groups of people, right? Mm. Who, ones who know that they're on the margins and want to get to the center and the others who know that they're in the center and don't want anybody to get to it, mm-hmm. right? So, I think it's it's looking at your congregation and trying to figure out, you yeah. know, who are those Pharisees, quote unquote, and who are the tax collectors and sinners. You don't, I mean, you probably don't want to call them that way, right? But you need to, you need to know your congregation and how do you talk to them, right? What, um, how do you bring the marginalized in, right? How do you help the those who are in the center to to remember that it's a good thing to to bring those other ones closer because it's all about rejoicing in the end, right? Mm. So I think this is what this is where understanding the culture and understanding the culture of a local church, especially, becomes very tricky. So yeah. Um, yeah, as a as a Bible scholar and as a contextual um, person interested in contextual studies, um, it's always it's always difficult for me to give like big ideas. Of course, yeah. Right. So that's my big idea. Figure it out. But uh, looking at the uh, looking at the congregation and figuring out what what exactly who is sitting in your church and how how do you want to how do you want to bring people in, right? What What is the thing that you really want to rejoice about together, mm. right? What is that that thing? Because you don't want to anybody to think that, oh, I'm a Pharisee, he's talking against me, right? So, Or you do, but you just might want to have another backup plan for right. the job. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that's what you're telling me. Well, right, right. <laughs> <clears throat> So, um, but it's, I think also is how do we, how do we teach and preach community, right? Mm-hmm. Coming, coming from a different culture, which is a very community oriented, right? Very, very communal. I know how to do it, right? I, I know how to do it and that's what I want to do. But in, in this culture, 
everything is so anti-communal just just yeah, because just it like is. Default. Right. It's just that's what it is. Even the preaching so, on these texts is often, look how Jesus ignored everybody else just to come get you. Right. You're, you're that beloved coin or that beloved sheep, which is not false, but it's definitely one-sided and therefore false in a certain important sense, right? right. It's, it's how much God loves you as the individual. He's willing to give up on the community for just you, which is right. clearly not, not actually the yeah. logic of the story is he cares about the community so much that right. he doesn't want you to not be a part of it because right. that's bad not only for you, but for them too. Maybe. Is that right? And that yeah. might need to be even just said. That might need to yeah. be explicit right. because it's so counterintuitive uh, to uh, North American cultures, which right. tend to be more atomistic, individualistic. Right. And so there's some cultural exegesis we can do that might not be – we can't do it for every individual congregation who's listening in. But we oh, can right. say yeah. there are some patterns. Although the first thing you said, and is sometimes a sermon starter is is a diagnostic question as much mm-hmm. as it is a theme. You know, right. it's a di- But it's a diagnostic question linked to the theme, right? So when you asked earlier on, is my church, mm-hmm. <laughs> who I've called to shepherd, mm-hmm. made up – uh, is it dominated by um, Pharisees or tax collectors? <laughs> right. What's the culture here? And not jump to conclusions on that question. Right. Allow yes. God to surprise you. And if there's a mix, then you mm. speak to that. You speak right. to the dynamic. If it's But if it's dominated one or the other, that's – and maybe even before that, the diagnostic question is, am I a Pharisee or am <laughs> right. I a yes. And that really comes down – and this is kind of meta, but – that's all, right. all I usually ever provide during this part mm. of the section. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the meta thing that, that, that that's really tricky is preaching on Jesus preaching is mm-hmm. really hard. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. you can actually preach on the content and even hug the text very close and actually preach in total contradiction to the spirit. Right. Because you're not accomplishing what he would have accomplished with that sermon. And sometimes I've heard sermons that are not, and don't, don't get me wrong here, or (laughs) Laura, who will not like me saying this, but I've heard sermons that don't hug the text very close, but that are true to that spirit. Right. Uh, Especially with Jesus. I think that's a lot less sometimes with Paul and maybe the Johannine literature that has its own kind of style, right? Mm-hmm. But but the Jesus preaching in the Synoptic Gospels, these little stories of Jesus right. himself preaching, like it seems to me that to be true to the spirit of the text, you have to do what you said at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is how do I do as I as much as I'm able in the power of the spirit, how do I create the the occurrence, the event that is faithful to the event that's being narrated here? It's not yeah. the same as do I walk through every word of the text, although oh, yeah. you're more likely the closer you are to the text to get closer to the event. But um, it's not a guarantee because like it's just really hard because you and then you have to ask. You have to really focus on one and two. I feel like if I right. was if I was giving advice to someone, I mean, this drops on Mondays, early morning right. Mondays, right? If I was giving advice to someone, I'd almost want to say, spend your Monday just asking this question of yourself. Right. My Pharisee or t- do I rejoice when others are included, or I feel threatened by that because I think it'll cause disorder or it'll undermine my strength, or am I just so rigid in my own kind of moral sensibilities that I can't celebrate 
right. restoration and then move on to that on Tuesday. Then the question is, well, what about my community? You right. know, where, where are we at? And then the sermon starts writing itself out of that, you know? Right. Because when you ask the questions about where am I, right. Or what type of person am I? Then the question would be what kind of God then do I believe in? <laughs> ah, yes. Right? Yes. <clears throat> if I, if I am a Pharisee and I'm afraid of others to, hmm draw closer to uh, to the center, then what kind of God do I believe in, right? Is he really all-inclusive, as I say, mm-hmm. and usually preach on, or do I really believe that he's only inclusive of people like me or, right. you know, whatever that may be? And then why am I so afraid of others mm. coming in? Like, where is that fear coming from, Right. And root and naming that I think is a crucial starting point, and that helps actually, because right. maybe you were saying earlier, maybe don't don't call them Pharisees. Well, if you're willing to also call yourself one, maybe then you can call your congregation right. that, yeah. you know, uh, you know, be 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 uh, be uh, prudent and discerning, but to kind of sp- if it starts with yourself, mm-hmm. when you're experiencing conviction, then the the calling out of others is not uh hypocritical. It's not, right. yeah. and, and it doesn't have the same harshness. Um And it suddenly occurs to me, I mean, again, this might be too meta, but like formally or structurally, not in terms of attitude, but like just how it's structured in society. If you are a pastor or a leader of any kind, right? Mm-hmm. You're teaching Sunday school. Like we were talking, <laughs> right? You could translate Pharisees and scribes as pastors and Sunday school teachers. I mean, right. structurally, that's, that's who true. we are. Right. Even yeah. we can ask the question, am I grumbling? Because that's really the question, not am I right. a Pharisee? Because if I'm a pastor, if I am in a spiritual leadership of any kind, I'm the equivalent of the Pharisees in this story. Right. Yeah. And of course, in Luke doesn't have, we've, we have discussed this a few times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you and I have talked about it, but we have on the pod mm-hmm. that Luke does not have the same view of Pharisees that Matthew does. He has a much more nuanced Sometimes the Pharisees are not bad guys in his stories. Right. It's a mm-hmm. little more, they tend to yep. be like straight up. And also, fun fact, uh, Luke also throws the scribes in with them. And Matthew tends to pull the word scribes right. out of those lists because clearly he's like, well, scribes right. rock. What's wrong with scribes? <laughs> so anyway, you know right. about all this. Yeah. But I mean, I've been noticing it because we've been going through Luke all summer. Right. It's like just consistently, Pharisees are kind of strange. Uh, they're, they're, they're a mixed bag. Uh, in the way that Luke presents them, which I think is pretty accurate to the right. to the original context in which Jesus would have been regarded as a Pharisee by those outside. Sadducees would just assume he was a Pharisee. Right. They wouldn't be able to tell right. the difference, yes. right? And yes. so, um, you know, he's a Galilean rabbi who believes in resurrection. And that's, that's what a Pharisee, Pharisee is, right? Yeah. I mean, in the sense of the it, – it, it's not like you carry a card that says, <laughs> I signed up, you know? Like, so – but I mean – I mean, in some sense, if I'm a preacher, that that didn't occur to mm. me till literally today. I can't believe I have never thought of it. But I was like, of course, I'm a Pharisee. I'm 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 the, I'm a spiritual leader, right? So this sermon has to be directed to me immediately, and then as well the leaders in my community, um, right. and then asking. So then the murmuring kicks in, yeah. and that Genesis uh, or that the, the Exodus and Numbers allusion there becomes really helpful to kind of yeah. say. To ask, oh, here it is. Sorry, this is way too long, and you're, maybe you're trying to get in. Sorry, I do this sometimes. <laughs> am I murmuring or am I rejoicing? Because that's the divide. Correct, right? Yeah. Because there's hope here if you're a Pharisee. It's not, it's not wrong to be the Pharisee. 
the, right. the error mm-hmm. is murmuring right. instead of rejoicing. Right. That just dawned on me. Yeah. Because the, the Pharisees are at the center. And this is where they should be. Right? Yeah, so it's, it's a wrong. it's a great right. it's a yeah. great thing to be at the center. And the Pharisees are the good guys. We think they're the bad guys, but they're yeah. the good guys because they do everything right except Yeah. They don't want others to come in. Right? Yeah. So this is what this is what Jesus is trying you know, telling them that all those who are on, on the margins should come in. Right? So yeah, it's it's their uh, understand like you know, Jesus says that, tells the disciples that if your, your, um, sorry, your righteousness should exceed those of <laughs> right, the Pharisees. Right, 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 Never right. says the Pharisees do not have any righteousness, right? right? It's like, look at their righteousness. Yeah. That's very high. Well, do bo- do more, right? Yeah. Do better. So, yeah, the Pharisees are rejoicing more than, than yeah. 99 righteous. Right. He doesn't have righteous in like scare quotes. He's not like 99 people who think they're righteous. Right. No, 99 actually righteous right. people. Yeah, you're righteous. But your problem is you, in murmuring, you're actually undermining your righteousness right. now. Right. But the point isn't you should cease being righteous. It's that right. your righteousness needs to be a rejoicing right. righteousness rather than a grumbling one. Right. Oh, that convicts me. Yeah. So it's more of a, again, spirit, right, of the law they're kind of lost here's just a fun question maybe we can end with this one um of course i mean we use the lectionary just as jumping off point so that we're not picking the texts arbitrarily based on our own interests um so i I suppose we could just do it correctly like you are going (laughs) through the bible as you would teach but uh but then sometimes you know you can get stuck in leviticus hey what's wrong with Leviticus? i love leviticus but how many people have you met who start to want to read the bible in a year and right Race through Genesis, which rocks, and Exodus, which is so action-packed. And then they get to Leviticus and they go, oh, they get stuck. They don't know what to do. I love it. No. Um, but uh, I just read through the Torah over and over right. and over again because it's so core. But um, we so we use that lectionary for various reasons, partially because it has seasonally appropriate right. stuff when we get to Christmas and Easter and, and gets us some variety. Um, but it's my rule of thumb that like just because the lectionary has like the 10 verses doesn't mean, you know, you could expand it. Right. Now the the prodigal son shows up in another time in the lectionary, mm-hmm. so oh. it, during Lent, so that's why it's cut off here, so you don't have to oh, repeat okay. it. But of course, you might want to preach on the whole at fifteen. Right. But we'll black we'll counter that out just for a moment here and say clearly these are two stories, right? Mm-hmm. Though they have the same framing device. If you had to pick, which one would you want to do? If you were going to preach on it, hmm. And I, I'm asking the audience too, like think if you're going to just do the one, which one kind of you feel like the imagery. Well, as a woman, of course, the woman's story is oh, okay. closer to me and, you know, jewelry and you can talk about that. And and I think speaking of jewelry, you you will connect with women much faster. Which doesn't always happen. Right. <laughs> so you know, sadly. sports, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> One more but, sports analogy you always tell. Right. <laughs> One more sports analogy. But then, you know, with, with men, you know, choosing jewelry for women, right, that's... They do that, right? So they have some idea of what's going on, and so yeah. And the, the shepherd language not something is so more common. You know, it's used, and I'll get another chance to preach on it. Whereas right. this image of this woman is some right. is pretty unique. That was actually what I was going to say I, I, for a different reason. But but I also think we we talk about shepherds so often. Yeah. 
but we really don't know much about them. Yeah. Like, we, we talk about them as if we're experts, but we're not. <laughs> yeah. Unless, you know, like, unless we, we have to go and study much more about them to, to speak with authority. Yeah. While we know everything about jewelry because we, it's a much more common thing for yeah. our culture. And it's a big, it's, and it's a big mind shift. Right. So I think of this as jewelry. I've never, I've never heard yeah. someone exegete this passage that way. And so that's a total mind turn for me. Right. So since that's exciting, it's good to follow where your excitement is because right. you're more likely to have more energy to write your sermon. But yeah. yeah, I would love to do that picture. And I could actually tell the story of, of my wife losing the diamond out of her ring. Right. Yes. Funny enough. I, did we, t- do you know about that? Did we tell you this story? I know that she lost it. Yeah. It was ever- while we were at a, one, you know, like the, sometimes in like tourist traps, they'll have these little places where you go digging for gems. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She was at one of those and that's where she lost it. <laughs> so we, and the family, after we were super sad, we went back and couldn't find it. Like the kids actually started like doing this and then everyone got in on it. It kind of really helped, uh, kind of just digging experience it. it was afterwards to say, well, maybe some, you know, uh, you know, uh, gal will be like digging mm-hmm. through it with her boyfriend and 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 we'll see it and think it was planted there and he'll just be like yeah or or and mandy i think pictured like that mm-hmm. maybe he'd be like down on one knee looking for something mm-hmm. when it happened and and sees it and she's like yes i do and he's like okay <laughs> so we're like maybe this will bless somebody someday mm-hmm. but but uh oh man we looked and looked and looked and and um yeah, but and 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 you're right. That's a story where actually, once you get in the jewelry language, it it mm-hmm. does bring in husbands and boyfriends who've, you know, purchased. Yeah. You know, I paid for that right. thing. Like that was like <laughs> I didn't have any money left after that. I was in the end of college. I didn't have a lot of money, but I wanted to get her a big rock. You know, so right. I I spent a kind of a lot of my savings on that thing. <laughs> and then she lost it. Yeah, well, not, sixteen <laughs> no. years later. But I know, I know, but <laughs> but you understand. The yeah. Rules. Like you understand the loss, and 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 additionally, it had two little diamonds, mm-hmm. and then the one in the middle is what came out. But the two little diamonds were still there, and it was this full gold ring, but without the one ring in it, it's it's kind of yeah. worthless. I mean, it's not worthless, but so did she have to? The imperfection, though, right. is part of the story. Well, I don't know if I'd finish the story because actually, it. I mean, I probably maybe I would tell this at the end of the sermon and find <laughs> a way to make it connect. But after it happened, my my folks were like, "Well, you know." Bella's ring, this was my rich aunt, like mm-hmm. great aunt, who had her, she had married a, a vice president of, uh, Pittsburgh Steel back, back when, you know, when they named Pit- Pittsburgh Steelers or named oh. for their, like, I mean, this is back oh. when this was the, you know, steel industry center of the world, um, back in the 30s, 40s, anyway. So oh. wealthy family, you know, otherwise not, uh, but so anyway, and she, but they didn't have any children. So they had kind of bequeathed their stuff to, my grandma and then through oh. my dad. So anyway, you don't need my whole family tree for me to tell the story, <laughs> but you can get a sense. People I've never right. met, you know, but so it's an heirloom, right? Yeah. That's the point. That's the connection. And it was her diamond ring, a uh, platinum ring with a big old diamond in it um, that, uh, that they were actually thinking of giving to us before they died anyway, just yeah. kind of distributing some of their stuff. And they, and actually when they mentioned it, I remember that my parents actually had offered it to me when I was going to propose to Mandy. And for whatever reason, I didn't take it. I, I think there were, there were a couple of reasons why, but um, I think part of it was I wanted to buy something. I wanted to, you know, right. do it myself. Right. Um, 
So now she, and I gave it to her for Christmas, the only time or birthday, just right. this last year. It's, I mean, it's the only surprise I've ever pulled off on Mandy. <laughs> She's so clever. I can't pull anything off. And I'm good at surprises anyway. But anyway, so, so yeah, we, we were able to then kind of, it kind of restored it. And that one's almost more significant right. because it's been handed down. Yeah. Um, which then helps me to understand if something happens to that. Oh yeah. Turn the whole, you know, turn the whole house upside down. Right. And it really was a rejoicing, you know, when she opened that ring, her whole family was around when she opened it and you we all flipped family, out. Right? Everybody rejoiced. Not like, oh, she gets that and I don't. It's yay. This two, two things that were apart have been brought back together, you know? Yeah. And, and you want the whole family there, right? Because yeah. you want to share it with others because exactly. it makes it more meaningful. Yeah. So I think if I was preaching on it this Sunday, kind of now I kind of want to, I'd, I might <laughs> open with the losing of the diamond. Right. And then do some stuff with the text to make it clear and really even have some pictures of different drachma from the time, right. just to picture yeah. what that would look like. Yep. Um, and then tell the other story, the rest of the story at the end. Yes. To bring out the, to, to illustrate the, the celebration theme. Right. And, and in the middle there, I could do the, do the framing device of verses one and two on the murmuring. Right. Like, so are you murmuring? Are you grumbling? Right. Or are you rejoicing? Yeah. At the inclusion of those who have been lost, you know. Right. Anyway, thanks for letting I mean, that's my version of the sermon because no, it's my story. You're probably not going to tell your story. Yeah. No, you can just good. tell it. Any, our <laughs> listeners can just tell it. Pretend it happened right. to you, right? We do that all the time. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that really happened to Mandy. I, no, I'm just kidding. No, it really did. <laughs> oh, man. Well. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Larissa. It's been really fun to be with you. Oh, yeah. I love the way you read scripture and think about culture both then and now. Um, So it's just great. Well, I'll just uh, conclude by saying thank you to uh, Todd and Eric and all their great work uh, in production work. I want to say big thank you to Larissa for uh, being on this uh, episode this week. And Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music, and we thank all our listeners, you, our listener. Thanks so much for listening and getting the word around, subscribing and sharing and rating and reviewing and all that business. So thanks so much, and we'll say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.